Welcome to the Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour Hobar, author of The Mystery of History, a world history curriculum for all ages. This pre-recorded podcast is designed for new and returning homeschool parents seeking direction, encouragement, and inspiration from a biblical worldview. And now your hostess, Linda LaCour Hobar. Hello, friends, and welcome to this session titled To Grade or Not to Grade. Now, this is part two, so if you missed part one, well, you may want to tune into that one first. In review, I used part one to discuss different philosophies of grading from the relaxed to the rigid homeschool. We talked about personality types influencing your decision to grade or not to grade. If you remember, I described my own children as a cat a monkey, and a golden retriever. And yes, they each had different reasons for needing grades at different times. And last, we dipped our toes into specific needs for younger, middle, and older students. Well, that was a lot for part one, so I'm happy to report that part two shouldn't take as long. But we are going to breach two things, grading by subject matter and record keeping. So let's start with subjects. When it came to the subject of Bible, well, personally, I never kept grades in Bible. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want anyone to grade my devotional life, so I didn't grade my kids either. Now, we would follow from time to time curriculum that helped us cover the mechanics of the Bible, but you know, the love of God's Word, I think that's something that can't be measured. It's far best if it's just modeled. So we tried to start every day with devotions, sometimes together, most of the time alone. We'd spread ourselves around the living room. When they were little, one of the more meaningful Bible things we did was to create a Proverbs notebook where they illustrated the positive and the negative of a certain proverb, but they gave them something to show for what was in their hearts. Let's take the subject now of math. Well, there's no way around grading math. It certainly is one of the most concrete subjects. We talked about concrete stair-step subjects in another session versus living subjects, but I'd say one of the things that's hard about math, for some reason, it's just getting them to show their work, right? Oh, they're so resistant. So often, students want to just work in their heads, but when they do, it's hard for us to trace their mistakes. So we do need to keep working on training them to show their work. Now, knowing my kids' personalities, you can only imagine how their needs were different. So let's talk about the cat. When it came to her, well, she hardly needed me for math, and I could completely trust her to grade her own work. So she did, and I stayed out of the way. Worked quite well. The golden retriever, well, she would do math all day long, as long as it was on a whiteboard. Yeah, for some reason, she hated working on paper. So a whiteboard it was, and she liked showing me her work. So I would watch her do math for years while she would verbally process it and then give answers on a whiteboard. Remember, she was my quality time student. As for the monkey, well, he needed and wanted my assistance even when I didn't want to give it. So in time, we created a system just to help us share the workload. Here's how it looked. We would do a lesson together, work several problems together, either on paper or a whiteboard, just to make sure he kind of understood it. And then I would assign him a homework portion, 
something for him to do without me on paper. Maybe he only had to do the odds or the evens. However, I will say there were times he wouldn't understand our problem, but then I would be busy with another student, and I don't multitask well. I wouldn't like him to interrupt me and try to drag me back into an algebra problem. So here's what we agreed on. He was allowed to draw a box around a problem that he was stuck on. It was a way to communicate with me, really. And by being boxed, it meant that when I went to grade that homework, which I had to or he would never complete it, I would not count those boxes against him. Now I have a sample page in front of me. I know you can't see it, but I'll describe some of these boxes just for fun because he left me little love notes. Like on problem 12, it's got a box around it and it says, this is what mom said to do. And two is spelled with a numeral two. And on problem 13, he says, need help. Mom won't come. And on problem 18, don't understand. So that meant when I went to calculate how many problems were on this page, instead of 20, I would say there was only 17 because I was removing three that he was stuck on. Now, the beauty of this system is that before he would take a test, say at the end of the week, we would go back to these very boxed problems. And those are the ones we would work on again, get that, you know, concept down and use that as a study tool before a test. You know, this may not work for everyone, but it really worked well for us. Because remember, following that X file, I'm trying to push him towards some independence. I needed to see what he could do on his own, but I didn't want to penalize him when I'm busy. And again, I don't multitask well and shift gears. Let's turn now to language arts, which I have mentioned before is a sneaky subject because it's not one subject. It's five or six Language arts is going to include reading comprehension, writing, spelling, vocabulary, grammar, handwriting, and some would say public speaking. You can never finish this subject, nor can you hide from it. So I'll give you a couple of brief comments on each one of those subcategories. When it came to reading, I felt absolutely no need to grade my children on reading, but I did provide incentives. We were always reading. But Back in the day, I believe it was Book It who offered a personal pan pizza if you read X amount of books. So we used that. It meant a lot to them. And as for reading comprehension, I will say occasionally I gave them quizzes to make sure that they were comprehending what they were reading. But that's because standardized tests will have that. And at the time we were homeschooling, my kids lived in Ohio and were required to take some of those standardized tests. So yes, we occasionally practice them. As for writing, I'm happy to say my kids were all pretty good writers. I think it came naturally to them. But I made this observation that my best writer, guess who that was? My monkey. (laughs) He was really a great writer. But he also was the one that wanted to dilly-dally around the most and not give me really everything I was looking for in a good report. So I came up with a grading system, a point system for their written work, like an extended research paper. What I would do is on a piece of paper, they could earn points either from 1 to 100 or 1 to 300, but there was points for categories. For example... I could reward the hard worker with points for giving me some note cards, creating an outline, 
making me a nice cover, turning in a neat report, giving me a bibliography, and turning it in on time, right? So a hardworking student could earn points for all of those things. Now, when it came to content, my hardworking student may or may not have like the best, most amazing words, but they could earn a good grade on that research paper. Now, the monkey who wrote exceptionally well, he could earn so many high points for content, but then he was really being dinged for the things he wouldn't do, like give me a good outline, turn in a bibliography, or give me this whole thing and the time that I wanted it. So I think the balance was there and helped. It was real life training. I will add this to the story. When it came to writing, since I'm talking about my monkey, I do want you to know in college, he was accused as a freshman of plagiarism because he wrote so well. He had to prove to a professor over time that the work he turned in was really his. Let's talk now about spelling. I will confess, because of my own inadequacies, I chose not to grade all the spelling practice pages that we had. My kids were in a program that offered four to five exercises a week, you know, one per day. I'm certainly not capable of keeping up with that much detail. So I chose instead to grade one weekly spelling test just to see how they were doing. Now on vocabulary, I found a course that required daily checking. And you know what? I didn't mind that one because I liked the course. It was called Wordly Wise. Not sure if you found it yet. It's just a charming little course on vocabulary words and pretty easy to keep up with. The same applied to grammar. I found a program I liked that was easy to grade and it was called Easy Grammar, literally. So I did keep grades on that. By the way, as I mentioned a couple of these courses by name, please keep in mind that I homeschooled a long time ago in the 80s and 90s, so I'm not necessarily saying that those are the best choices today. There's a lot on the market. Now on handwriting, I have a word of caution. Don't neglect it. With the overuse of texting and keyboards, we are losing the skill of cursive, at least of reading cursive, not to mention using it. And here's where that can lead us into trouble. I would hate that our students one day would be illiterate when it came to reading the documents of our founding fathers. They're all in cursive. So please don't let that happen. Be sure your kids can read some cursive. Now, when it came to how I taught them some keyboard skills, I used an older program called Mario Teaches Typing. I'm not even sure if that's still around, but it was excellent. The kids liked it. And then when it came to actual handwriting with pen and hand, I would give them a score of one to four based on how they performed. So if their work looked just like the little book that I had and it was perfect, I'd give them a four. That was an A. If it was their best, they got a three, which would translate to a B. If they really were not trying, and you know when they're not, they would get only a two. We'll call that a C. And if it was just their worst, they got a one. That was a D. If the work was incomplete, they just got a zero. Now back to our subjects. Let's talk next about science. Oh, science. At least in those younger and middle school years, that's a living subject. So I hope it's one you're trying to streamline and teach everybody just about together. It's experiential and you can do that. 
And so since it was easy in our house, very few, if any, grades were ever kept in science, not until maybe middle school or up. So before that, it was just interaction. Their attention was natural. I really didn't need to keep grades to stay on them to complete their work, not when they were young. They loved, loved science. In fact, that monkey I keep talking about grew up to double major in biology and chemistry. He is presently a chemist. And when I did keep grades on him when he got older, I think eighth or ninth grade, it was very straightforward. I recorded just a few fractional grades based on a worksheet and a test. And if I wasn't tracking the grades, my kids were in co-ops where there was experiments and more equipment and all that stuff, and their teacher would track a grade. As for history, well, much like science, serious grades in history, that was left until middle school just to prep them for high school. Before that, grades were kept pretty simple and very straightforward. I was literally writing quizzes, and I would give them to my kids as guinea pigs for the mystery of history. Most of our quizzes were in the format of games, just to teach retention and reinforce the facts. But I will say, if you have a student, maybe middle school and up, who you think needs some grades because they need a little incentive, you could go back to a point system, similar to that research paper system I described. You could give them points for turning in certain parts of homework and then average that with some quizzes. As mentioned before, I like point systems that will reward hard work for students who just may or may not test well, but then penalize the lazy students who just aren't willing to turn in work. It averages out. Let's talk now about foreign languages. If truth be told, I utterly failed in one language program that we tried one year, and then I scored like a 10 on the other one. So there is something to be said about curriculum choices. But the one that I bombed on, it had to do with my time restraints. There was this one year my plate was so full, but I also sensed my kids needed a Spanish course. So I just bought a set of cassette tapes. I know I'm dating myself now, but that's what we had back then. I bought them these cassette tapes and I figured they could listen without me and take some little quizzes. Well, every time I went to grade them, it was like D, F, D, F. They were crashing and failing. Things completely fell apart. And now I have these cassette tapes, I believe, still rotting in my garage. Remember, again, I homeschooled a long time ago. So yes, I learned a lesson on my inability to be with them for every course and how that sometimes mattered. But the course that worked for us, so a year later, I decided I wanted to up the ante, and I went with a Latin course. The one I chose is titled The Latin Road to English Grammar. Not sure if you know that one. It's by Barbara Beers. It's a great course, I think. It's hard, though. It's hard because I didn't know Latin. I was learning it along with my students. And I'm telling you, it was such a challenging course that it forced us to really take it serious, to work like a team of Spartans together, we wouldn't touch this subject until we had had lunch. Then we'd clear the kitchen table of all the debris and stray stuff. I personally was forbidden to pick up the phone. And then we worked. We worked very hard. And I will say it was rather successful. It was very rewarding. And I hope in the end it helped my children on their ACT tests. And as for grading Latin, well, I just kept grades on some of the exercises and obviously on some tests. 
Let's talk now about electives. Oh, for the love of learning, I hope you are filling your lives with electives where grades really don't matter. No, what I hope is that you're rotating electives for experience and for exposure. We might also call these our extracurricular activities. And honestly, you might find a career interest for one of your students through an elective. We did this with Ashley, my youngest. She learned after taking some nutrition courses as an elective that she wanted to grow up and be a dietitian, which she is today. But I will say once in a while, you might need grades for some electives. But here's what I would do. If you have maybe an apathetic student or a toddler who doesn't care that much about this elective, but you need it to somewhat matter to them, perhaps you just offer a pass-fail. You know, if you do this, this, and this, you pass. And if you don't, you fail. Keep it simple. Now, if you have a real feeling student, like my golden retriever, perhaps you just experience and you really don't need a grade. But let's say you have a thinking-doing student, your little Martha, my cat. Maybe that student really wants their work measured. Remember, that means something to them. In that case, I might create what I call an if-then rubric or an if-then contract. Let me describe that. You could arrange with a student an agreement that says, like, if you would do, I don't know, maybe these three things. Let's use a health course as an example. Maybe if you'll read this book, fill in a worksheet and give a presentation. If you'll do those three things, you will earn a C. But if you will add to those three things two more things, like build a menu, plan a meal, then you'll earn a B. Or if you want to really go all out and do seven things, or in addition to those three here and two there, what if you would add a research paper and go to the grocery store for an assignment? Well, then you could earn an A. And then just sign that agreement and date it. By signing and dating it, you really reduce the objectivity of the matter later, and you've rewarded your hard worker. I will say these if-then contracts, be as specific as you want with them, and it may also be helpful for a student who suffers from test anxiety. Skip the test and create a work contract. All right, friends, I have one last subtopic to cover. That would be grade records. Now, remember when I said that grades have to go somewhere or they're useless? Like the time that my little monkey, Kyle, earned an F because that day he decided he was Christopher Exotica. (laughs) Well, let's talk about where those grades go. I personally had a sheet of paper. It's just like a, a grid. It's a whole row of boxes. And in those boxes, I jotted down the fractional grades that I chose to keep. All to say, I needed a place to store the good, the bad, and the ugly grades so that I could average them. Again, it gave me leverage, especially when I'm using a grade to shape their work ethic. Now, something that may or may not be obvious, because I know you're not seeing the sample that I'm looking at, is that let's say you have a whole box full of these fractional grades. Well, here's some good news. At any given time, you can average your student's grade to see what they have. Maybe you're in the middle of the year and they want to know, Mom, what do I have in Latin? Well, if you take all the numerators that you've collected, add them up and write it down, then take all the denominators write that down, then take that big numerator divided by the big denominator, and once again, it's going to spit you out a decimal number. Drop the decimal, round it, and oh, you're going to see a grade 
between 1 and 100. And now let's talk about what those grades mean, which all has to do with grading scales. So next topic, grading scales. There are very simple grading scales. For example, many of us grew up in a system or we keep a system where 90 to 100 is an A. We'd also call that a 4.0 or 80 to 89 is a B, 70 to 79 is a C and so forth. Where basically you go by every 10 numbers. By the way, I'm kind of curious. Does anybody know whatever happened to the letter E? We have A, B, C, D, and F. I don't know. It's a mystery to me. But anyway, we also call this a 4.0 system. So if a student says they earned a 4.0, it's a perfect score. But I will say some of you may want to consider keeping a much more elaborate grading scale, particularly if your student is college-bound, where they may be competing against peers in your community for various scholarships and such. And in that case, it's not that you just keep an A, B, C, or D. You would keep an A plus, an A, an A minus, or a B plus, B, B minus, and so on. And in that case, your decimals are going to sometimes have a 0.3, sometimes a 0.7, and those are going to be your various cutoffs. If you'd like to see that, it's pretty easy to Google grading scales and you'll find them. They're out there. Last, I just want to talk when it comes to grade records about report cards. Now, I've described my personality and I think you'd agree. I wasn't like real excited about keeping report cards for my kids because it's just work. But I knew my children and I knew that two out of the three especially would be very curious to see a report card, to have one, to store one. So I stepped up and I did my best. I tried to issue report cards every quarter. In reality, they probably got report cards twice a year, maybe one for each semester. And when did I grade? Only during school hours, because otherwise I just ran out of steam. So when they were working, I was working. But I do have a little report card in my hand. I wish you could see. I'll describe it. We put just a little graphic on the front. We put the year. We put the name of our homeschool, which I hope you name your homeschool. Makes it more personal. So this is Kyle Harrison Hobar's report card in eighth grade. Real quick, there's nine subjects, but only four got letter grades. So real quick, in Bible, he got all check marks. In algebra, he got a BCBB. There was a letter there for each quarter of the year. In science, he got letter grades, BBAB. In Latin, he got straight A's, probably because we worked so hard. But in spelling, all check marks. Writing, all check marks. Reading, all check marks. History, all check marks. Guitar, all check marks. That was an elective. And then in health, I gave him straight A's, which kind of surprises me. I would expect me to have just given him check marks, but for some reason, he got a letter grade. The point being, you can see, even in eighth grade, I was only choosing four subjects to offer a letter grade, because that's really all that was necessary. Now, after all my chattering here, I hope you are convinced that grades, they can be effective, maybe with the young ones to help you discover problems, maybe with a middle student to help them with a work ethic, and maybe with the older student to provide guidance for their future. Now, I know that grades are not a perfect tool. I don't think they're designed to be, but a tool is a tool. And then here's some very good news to close on. At the end of the day, it's your decision to grade or not to grade.
because every family is unique. You know your students. You know yourself. But I do hope these tips and truths have been helpful. And one last story. Please don't fall into comparing yourself to others or to the way I did things. You know, not terribly long ago, I found myself in a situation one day where I was comparing myself to someone. It was a professional matter, and quite honestly, I was feeling a little jealous. And I opened my Bible, and I came to the place in John 21, 22, where Peter talked to Jesus and said, Hey, what about John? I think that Peter was really feeling a little jealous of John. And you know what Jesus said? He said, What is that to you? You follow me. You know, those three words gave me great comfort. It reminded me that I am to follow Christ, not to look around and necessarily try to follow others. So take my advice and do the same. Follow the Lord. Thank you so much for joining me for To Grade or Not to Grade, Part 2. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to The Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour Hobar. For more information on Linda's award-winning history program, visit themysteryofhistory.com, a one-stop shop for chronological, Christian, complete world history for all ages.